Well, welcome to Foothills Christian Church. If you are here for the first time or you came because of a family event or anything else where you're glad you're here, if you're watching for the first time, we're glad you're joining us. Foothills is just kind of a different sort of a place. And we want you to know first that you're welcome and also what we focus on. And one of the things that we focus on is coaching you up in your faith. We want you to know what you believe, why you believe it. We think that fluff is not enough for the world in which we live, that you have to develop some strength, right? You have to grow stronger as a person, particularly when you want to navigate life. One of the things that we think is important is that strong people tend to be happier people. Uh, strong people tend to be more successful in their endeavors. Strong people can hold things together, right, when they start to unravel uh, strong people build things. They build good things. So if you have dreams, if you're a young person, you have dreams, you have goals, you have desires, aspirations in life, you need strength if you want to achieve them. You're going to have to grow strong as a person. So that's what we like to do as a church is we like to focus on discipleship, which is the process of coaching you up in the faith to follow Jesus so that you grow into strength and Maturity. Now we're in the time of the year where we celebrate the birth of Christ, and so we take the next four weeks and we want to study and dig into and celebrate the birth of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we're calling this series the King of Kings. And I really love the graphics that they put up here because it kind of tells the whole story. If you look over here all the way uh, to your left, and that is Jesus is a baby that was born. But we don't want to mistake the point that the baby born was just a baby born in a unique way. The baby was born for a purpose, and that purpose was to bring a new kingdom. Here is the, the baby grows into a boy in the temple, and then what happens is the boy becomes a man who is a savior, but then ultimately what happens is Jesus comes again, and this time he's the king. And I like that, man. Look at that. He's looking... Yeah, he's, he's really close to the king in Revelation 19, which uh, is pretty impressive. And so what we're doing is we're going to study the fact that the birth of Christ was the birth of a new kingdom coming. So we want to celebrate it. We want to sell it really, really big. And as we do, we like to have a lot of Christmas Eve services because Christmas Eve is on Sunday, so for the next four weeks, we're just going to go boom, 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 boom. And then on that Sunday, the 24th, we have different service times. And so I want to make sure that you know when they are and they're up there. If you can't, um, if you can't make on campus one of those, all you have to do is invite family and friends over and you can do seven and nine. And we also have one at midnight and it's going to be an online Premier. So we have a total of seven services that you can pick and choose from. About, oh, I don't know, two months ago, we pulled all the stakeholders together in the church. We just said some things we wanted to focus on for this last three months of the year. And that is one I called the principle of five. And so I've, I asked everybody in our church who is a stakeholder, who's a part, to write out a list of five people that they want to pray for and focus on taking another step closer towards God that they would take a step towards Jesus. So we want you to practice the principle of five and we want you to start thinking about uh, inviting someone to come to Christmas Eve service because on that 
service, those services, they tend to be full. We do a lot of celebratory things. But one of the things that we do is we want to make a clear and compelling presentation of what it means to be redeemed by Jesus Christ, our Lord and King. So it's a great time for people to hear the message of Christ. So if you'd like to come and help us out too, uh, we want you to register for a service. Well, we never asked people to do this before. Uh, we're not like going to you know, hold you to it. If something comes up and you have to go to a different service, that's fine. But if you do this what, and kind of tell us how many people are coming, we can make sure that we get people parked and that they have a place in the service. Right, because it does get full. And one of the things that I dislike is people losing their faith when they try to find a parking space. You know, um, so we want to we want to kind of m modulate that the best we can. And also, the creative team, the worship team, they've been coming up with ways to just make the whole experience more memorable for families. And so, one of the things they want to do is they want to have carolers out in the parking lot when people are parking, singing Christmas carols. So you're, they, they, as soon as you park, right, you hear them. So you know what that means? All of you can sign up to be Christmas carolers in the parking lot. So if you want to do that, you scan a QR code, boom, come 20 minutes early, walk around and sing the carols of Jesus. It will be awesome. So then finally, we do the Christ's birthday offering. Uh, every year, people say, hey, we want to give over and above because God has really done some remarkable things. The ministries of the church basically kind of you know, flow month to month to month on people's regular giving, right? People who practice the habit of generosity. That's what I want to be in that habit. I want to do it. And they grow in their faith. So what happens though, is at the end of the year, some people say, well, my business has done really well. And, you know, in this economy the, you know, other people may not have done, but it's really put my thing on fire. And people are saying, we want to give extra. We want to do more because we want to see the kingdom of God expand in ways we never imagined. So our Christ's birthday offering is a big deal. We focus on a lot of things and you're going to hear over the next four weeks, some of the things that we've accomplished. And it's been remarkable from building a farm in Haiti that supports an orphanage there to uh, other things that we've done in, in foreign countries and a lot of things that we've done even here in our own community. So it's a really great thing. It's, a, it's a, an amazing thing. So I'd like you to start praying about that. So this is how we're going to celebrate. And then finally, if you want to do the Advent, you can sign up for the Advent. It's awesome. You just text uh, something to a number. Isn't that vague? Um, but uh, out in the auditorium, you can check that out. But what it is, is that you get a little text on your phone, each thing, and it's a little tiny video of one of the staff members in the church. Uh, and there's a little reading that you do. And the Advent focuses you specifically on the birth of Christ. And so it's a wonderful 26, 27 day journey uh, of devotion. So it's a lot of fun. Sign up for that and do that. You can sign up today. You're only two or three days behind. It takes you 10 minutes to catch up or something of that nature. Now, we're calling this series into the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ, the King of Kings series. And the reason why is because if you've been around Foothills for the last year, our entire focus has been on the kingdom, right? And that there's basically only two kingdoms in this world. There is the kingdom of this world, which I call the kingdom of self, or is there is the kingdom of Jesus. 
So it's really interesting when you kind of look at these kingdoms, we need to start to compare them to get an idea of what they are like. And one of the things that really talks about the coming kingdom that Jesus is bringing when he was born is found in the prophetic statements of Isaiah. And Isaiah wrote these words somewhere between five or 600 years before Jesus was born, right? So just realize that the United States of America is only half that old, right? And yet he wrote this, and this is really remarkable. He talked about there will be a king of kings, and this king will come and bring a new kingdom. And he describes in these prophetic statements what this kingdom is like. So when we have to understand the kingdom of Jesus and the kingdom of this world, it's important to contrast them to give us a really clear picture of what he's talking about. And I'm going to read kind of the whole chunk, because sometimes what happens is in the Christmas story, they just take out one verse. And I want you to get a broader sense of the context of what he is saying. So it's chapter 9. It's beginning with verse 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there. If you don't have your Bibles, don't worry. It will be up on the screen. Verse 2 of Chapter 9. He says, The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. And those who live in a dark land, the light will shine on them. They shall multiply the nation. Thou shalt increase their gladness. They will be glad in your presence, as with the gladness of harvest. Men will rejoice as they divide the spoils. For you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. So all these people are really, really happy. They've come from darkness to light. Why? Because, verse 4, you shall break the yoke of their burden and the staff on their shoulders. And the rod of their oppressor as at the battle of Midian or in the days of Midian. Midian was another tribe. They were very oppressive to the Israelites and they gained victory over their oppression through battle. So that's what he's talking about. Verse five, for every boot of the booted warrior in the battle tumult, a cloak rolled in blood will be for burning fuel for the fire. For unto us, a child will be born, a son be given to us and the government will rest on his shoulders and his name will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, eternal father and prince of peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or of peace and on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and righteousness. So now he's describing, right? the type of kingdom that Jesus will bring. And then he says this, from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. What an amazing description of this coming kingdom. You see, if the kingdom of Jesus that he's bringing is really special and he came to uh, defeat, right, the oppressed, the, those who are being oppressed, the ultimate oppressor, Jesus and his kingdom came to conquer, right? And what happens often is when we study this is we can kind of misread what it means. The Israelites certainly did that because in their mind, you know what the oppressor was at this 
when they kind of trans, well, after this, it was the Assyrians, you know, and then after that, it was the Greeks. And during the birth of Jesus, it was the Romans. It was always some other political group that had come in and conquered them. And that was their oppressor. But sometimes you kind of misread things like side note, about 20 years ago, 25 years ago, early on in our marriage, we had at that time, two little kids and we were, you know, as poor as church mice. And so I was talking to my wife and she says, you know, I have an idea maybe to save money this Christmas. So we get some gifts and stuff for the kids that we want to get. How about we don't buy each other a gift? And I, in my young husband ignorance, said, yes, of course you agree with that, right, guys? But then I thought it actually meant that. <laughs> Doesn't work that way, does it? Guys, have you ever misread this? Have you ever said to your wife, you come in and you go, how are you doing? She goes, fine. And you go, cool. <laughs> right? Sometimes you misread things, Right? So you don't want to misread things in this regard to the kingdom of God that is coming, the kingdom of Jesus, like the Israelites, okay? Because the, the key verse in there is four, where he says, I came to defeat the ultimate oppressor. And so the Israelites thought that their oppressor were the Greeks, or their oppressor was the Romans. And you need to set us free from the oppressor. But really, were the Greeks and the Romans and the Assyrians and the Babylonians and, and the Philistines before that, and the Hittites and the Amalekites and the Amorites and all of these ites, there's a whole lot of ites in the Old Testament, right? Is it, were they the oppressors? Or were they just simply a outflow or the hand or the tool of the ultimate oppressor? And that's why our battle tends to be spiritual first, okay? And that's really critical to understand is that the kingdom of Jesus came to break the power and defeat the ultimate oppressor. And the ultimate oppressor is the king of this world, Satan himself. Therefore, it's really important to understand that the new kingdom that he brought was a different kingdom. And if you read through that passage, he says, look, there are people who walk in darkness. They're going to see a great light. So the new kingdom that Jesus brings is a kingdom of light. He goes on to say they will experience great joy. So it is a kingdom of joy. He says they will be as excited as when the harvest comes in. So the new kingdom is a kingdom of harvest. It's a kingdom of plenty. It is a kingdom of wonderful counsel, right? It gives us guidance and leaderships. It is, it is a kingdom of might. It is a kingdom of power. And it is a kingdom that he says will be eternal in its orientation. It is a kingdom filled with peace, with justice and righteousness. So when Jesus was born, he brought that, that kingdom of light into the world, Satan's kingdom of darkness. And now you and I, because of the birth of Christ and because of what he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, is that we get the ultimate gift of all. And that is we get to choose now our king. See, we can choose to stay in the kingdom of this world, or we can choose to walk in this new kingdom filled with light and joy and peace. We have been given 
the gift of freedom of choice. And now we have the freedom and liberty to operate or act on that choice. Now we can stay in the kingdom of self. And what's really interesting is the kingdom of self is actually the kingdom of this world. And the kingdom of this world has only one king and that's Satan. You know what's so interesting about the kingdom of self is that it lives in the ultimate deception. And you know what the ultimate deception is? The ultimate deception is that, is that the life I am living for myself, I'm actually living for myself in the kingdom of this world. That is the ultimate deception. And that is, well, I don't want to walk and live in that kingdom because I want to decide for myself, right? And then you're under the impression that you think you're actually living for yourself because all evidence points to the contrary, that people who live in the kingdom of self, they don't live for themselves at all. They live under the control of the kingdom of this world. You know, what's really fascinating is that uh, it's really heartbreaking, but in the last six weeks, four students in the Boise High School District have committed suicide. And that is just really heartbreaking. You, you read the stats in the research of what young people, Gen Z, are experiencing in our society, American society right now, and all of the professionals that keep an eye on mental health and all this kind of stuff, they are alarmed. They are alarmed at what is going on. They are like, why, how in the world did we get here? So you hear some of the standard surface things, you know, like the Israelites, well, our real oppressor is the Romans. And like, they're looking back today and they're saying, well, the real reason why is because of COVID, right? We got COVID. Or the real reason why is because of this. But in reality, when you dig down deep into it, the real reason is secularism. And that is, is when you take any reason, purpose, or foundation for personhood away there is no reason to live. And so when you have a secularist view of the world and you propagate that in an educational system, what you end up is you remove any potential for young people to grow up and say, I actually have value for my life and there's a purpose for my life. You know, the number one, all research points to this, the number one reason why people take their own lives is because they have lost all hope. All hope is gone. All hope is gone. The people who walk in darkness, the people who live in darkness, those who live in a dark land, a new king will come. They will see a great light and the light will shine on them. Joy and light is difficult to experience. Joy and light is difficult to uh, uh, be, become full in your life when your life is filled with oppression and burdens, when your life is filled with darkness and you have a lack of direction or clarity. Life is so unfair 
It's always been that way because sin and evil's in the world. But life is unfair to you and the people around you when you live in the kingdom of self because you're not actually living for yourself. You're living under the control of the king of this world. And you're being manipulated. That's why when we choose between these two kingdoms, we have the ultimate gift. It is our freedom. It is our responsibility. It is our potential to make a choice. And the choice that we make, the choice that lays before us, the choice that is the difference between light and darkness, oppression and freedom, is we choose our king. We choose our king. Our king is the one to whom our life belongs. And when you have the king of kings and the Lord of lords, you have one experience. When you have the kingdom of this world, you live an opposite experience. We get to choose. This was a theme very popular in the Old Testament. You know, if you look back on Joshua, now, if you remember who Joshua was, is after Moses led them out of uh, slavery in Egypt, and then they kind of went across the Negev Desert, right? Then 42 years later, Moses then passes away, passes the baton to Joshua, and then Joshua has to take the Israelites in and possess the land, Right? And so this is the first time that we see the Israelite people, Jewish people, going in and possessing ownership of the promised land. And this happened about 3,500 years ago. So it's been a while. Okay? And so what happens is they go in, they possess the land. The book of Joshua is about, we have to be strong and courageous for the Lord our God is with us. And then if you notice in chapter 24, verse 14 and 15, they possess most of the land. They are living there now. And then Joshua calls everybody together for like, okay, we're here now. We're, how do we move forward? And this is what he says in verse 24. He says, um, no, I'm sorry, uh, chapter 24, verse 14 and 15. Apologize for that. Now, he says, now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and truth. Put away the gods which your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. So he says, I'm telling you. You know the gods you served in Egypt when you were in slavery or your forefathers served? Don't do that anymore. He goes, verse 15. Now, if it's disagreeable, in other words, if you don't want to make that choice to serve the Lord, he goes, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served and which were beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites, listen to this, this is serious shade. You can serve the gods in whose land you are now living. He's saying, how good did their kingdom do? Not so good because it's now in a different kingdom. That's what he says. He goes, you can serve the gods of the Amorites in whose land you are living. And then he says this, but as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying you have a king and you get to choose, 
right? And that's not just an Old Testament passage. It's Jesus talked about the very same thing. If you flip over to Luke, uh, in Luke chapter... 14, okay, and beginning with verse 25, it's really interesting what he says. Now, great multitudes were going along with Jesus, and he turned and said to them. So there's thousands and thousands of people that are following him, and he turns around, and at this point, you would think, you know, if he's a super seeker-friendly guy, right? He's like, okay, what I want is I want you to all to be comfortable. I'm going to practice the hospitality gift and make sure that you all have a nice place to sleep, and we don't want to have any offense in your life. We just want you to feel really good about who you are and how valued you are. That's what you would think Jesus would say with these thousands of people. But listen to what he actually says. This is what he says. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, you cannot be my disciple. That's really not very sensitive. You know, but that's what he said. If you want to follow me and you do not hate your brother, sister, children, wife, mother, father, even your own life, you cannot be my disciple. Verse 27, whoever does not carry his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Now, why does, why does Luke record the words of Jesus in this way? Now, the key word in this text is the word uh, dunatai. It's a Greek word pronounced duname because you decline the verb. It's a verb. It's where we get the word in English dynamite from. And so what it basically means is that it is a powerful statement of absolute certain or affinity. In other words, you have your priorities set and they are absolutely and unequivocally clear in your mind. In kingdoms, it was basically this. You know who your king is and there's no question in your mind. And so he's using a Hebrew idiom to say, your commitment to me as your king in comparison to your own marriage, there should be no question. Your, your, your loyalty and devotion to me as your king in comparison to your own children, there should be no question. Your, your relationship to what you want in your own happiness, in your own joy, in comparison to my, your devotion to me, there should be absolutely no question. So what he's doing is he's saying, you need to clarify whose king you're going to live for. Now, when I was younger, I used to spend a lot of time, you know, I was in uh, various, you know, uh, Bible colleges and universities and stuff. Because I was digging into this, trying to figure out how, well, Jesus obviously doesn't mean this. Jesus obviously doesn't want it to go that far. Jesus obviously is trying to say something different. No, he's not. He's saying what he's saying for a purpose. And this is what he's saying. It took me decades to figure this out and understand it completely in its fullness. And that is this is that I have to choose up front what king I want to be loyal to. 
Only he can be the king in his kingdom. And I, he just listed, these are all the reasons why people hedge their bets. Right? These are all the reasons why people aren't fully devoted. Because they're not saying, they're saying to themselves, hey, Jesus doesn't really want me to dislike my kids, you know. But what, what he's saying is that how can you actually love your kids in the right way if you are serving yourself? Think about that for a second. Parenting mistakes almost always happen because of what? Altruism, objective truth, proper discipline? No. They happen because of what? Narcissistic, selfish, selfish parenting, right? That's what, so you see what he's doing is he's saying you... You want to live in the kingdom of light and have all these outcomes and you have to choose and you cannot equivocate or compromise or it could be only one king. Now, how do we know he's saying that? Well, look what he says next in verse 28. Okay. This is how you know that this is what he's saying about getting your priorities straight. Now, which one of you, when he wants to build a tower, does not first sit down and calculate the cost? to see if he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, when he sets out to meet another king in battle, will not first sit down and take counsel whether he is strong enough with 10,000 men to encounter one coming against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still far away, he sends a delegation and asks terms of peace. So therefore, no one, not one of you, can be my disciple who does not give up all of his possessions. So what he's saying is you really need to think this through. Consider every angle, every option. Every possibility. What exactly does the kingdom of Jesus require of me? And what do I see people who really take the kingdom of Jesus seriously and really are devoted to him as their only king? And what you end up realizing is that, wait a second, the very things that I want, right? The deepest thirst of my soul, I, I really want to be a, a person that is salt in the world. I really want to be a person, if I'm married, that can love my spouse in a way that they've never been loved before. I, I want to be a parent that understands how to really raise kids properly so that they grow up and they are a glory not only to God, but to me as well. I want how I manage my money and my business and my lifestyle to make a difference in this world. I guarantee you, if you live in the kingdom of self, ruled by Satan, that's never going to happen. And that's what Jesus is saying. You need to count the cost. Think it through. What exactly does the kingdom of Jesus require of me? And then what will my life look like when I really follow him? About 15 years ago, uh, there was a couple that came and asked for uh, counsel. And they said, look, um, uh, we're separated. We want to get a divorce. Uh, we hate each other's guts. And uh, we can't stand each other. And uh, we don't even like the same sports. And so 
Um, you know, we've gone to counselors, we've gone to therapists, we've gone here, we've gone this, we've done this, we've tried that, you know, we've done meditation and hypnosis and we've done all these different things and all these stuff. Nothing's worked. And so we thought we would give you the last shot. And I said,